What is wrong with JoJo? A lot of people asking the question. JoJo Pyeon not looking like himself in week one. Uh, the biggest fraud or frauds of week one, JNT and, will go, and I will go over that. Is Fudge the best top in North America? Maybe a little bit early to ask the question, but we will dive into that as well. And did the real MVP of week one get snubbed? I, of course, have my opinion. Here's a hint. It's one of the 2-0 teams. Episode 111 of the Clown Fiesta podcast with Blue Jay and JNT250. JNT, what did you think of week one? It was good. Like nothing was too wild. Nothing was too, you know, sad or somber. It was, it was a good week one. Honestly, let's just get into the broadcast stuff. Let's start right there. Because for me, I don't know, I guess I don't know about you, but for me, huge sigh of relief. Like, because the last couple of weeks or maybe even last couple of months, we were really worried. We didn't know what the LCS was going to look like. Dash isn't there anymore. Freak isn't there anymore. And we thought viewership might be way down because of the schedule change. But Overall, I thought the viewership was pretty good, and by no means is week one like, oh, viewership's okay for week one, that means it's going to be okay for the rest of the split. No, of course not. But we did dodge that, like, seeing 20k, 30k, like, we still, I saw Twitch peak somewhere around 100k, which I think is pretty normal for the LCS, so not so bad. Yeah, and I think another thing you got to consider when talking about the viewership numbers is with the co-streaming program changes, allowing more creators to be involved in that, that might be you know, a, a number that you're not directly seeing on the stream, but, you know, there could be some extra viewers in there because, you know, while all the major ones are still going, like, you know, I Will Dominate, LS, Sneaky, Meteos, you know, there, uh, there are other ones, including Dash himself. He was doing co-streams during the game. I yep. don't recall how many viewers he had, but I have been, like, seeing him stream on Twitch, and normally he's not, he's not really hitting more than 200 viewers, so I would assume that the co-streams probably gave a little bit of a boost to that, but... You know, yeah. all the viewers count, basically, when, when viewership has been declining in a region for the last four years. Yeah, and we kind of hypothesized that the LCS was going to, or just esports in general, are going to go more towards co-streaming as time goes on. It seems like that was one of the biggest reasons why they got rid of Dash. But I guess I'll ask the question to you. Was it weird to you at all that the it kind of felt the same just without Dash? Like, it didn't feel like there was less time in between games, which was something that we had talked about previously. We thought, well, maybe if there's no Dash, maybe it's because the time in between games is much shorter and they're trying to get the games going a lot quicker. But that didn't really seem to be the case, did it? Yeah, I know. I mean, they did have some some special extra segments that I think they were just probably only doing for week one purposes. Those were primarily happening on the first day with, you know, Cutie Cinderella uh, being a guest on the broadcast. But in terms of, you know, in between games and the analyst desk and the various discussions that they were having, it did feel to me a little weird that there was no dash. And it was more just you could see somebody else sort of took on the dash role for any given, you know, post game discussion or conversation. Primarily, it was either like Emily Rand or Raz, who was kind of like leading the little mini discussions that they were having. And it only felt a little awkward because they were a bit awkward doing it. And that's not a surprise when you have a person like Dash who's literally been doing all, like the entire hosting job of the LCS since season five, I'm pretty sure, was when he first came on the desk. If you pick that up for the first time ever in like a large capacity role like Rand or Emily Rand or Raz was doing, it's going to be a bit weird. But I feel like they'll sort of work out the dynamic not too, in not too much time. Like it felt pretty normal. Yeah, I, I'm so like stuck here because my first instinct was like you couldn't have just done all this with Dash, but also at the same time I thought the broadcast was great. Like the idea of just sitting at the analyst desk in between every single game gets stale. It, it has gotten stale over the years, 
but I felt like they had segments to do in between all the different games that were unique and, and just different. Um, even if some of the stuff was stuff that they brought back, like like this or that, for example, or Fudge putting the the pictures of the different top laners on his head or what, like that is not the same old boring thing in between every single game. So like, very promising signs if you ask me. Like I'm actually not so damn bored in between games. Um, so that was really good. And, and the other thing too is just getting the players involved. That that was a lesson they definitely learned from last year. People were saying get fan or get the players on the broadcast way more often, like Whippo, for example, like Fudge. Like that is something that clearly um, they took that lesson last year and ran with it this year. And I hope we we see a little bit more of that. Yeah, that was something that they sort of started doing a bit in summer 2022. Was instead of interviewing a player on stage, they would bring them on the broadcast for their for sort of their analyst desk segment. Um, that's also when they were sort of having some of the players after they finished their game, cast the next game. And, you know, we saw a little bit of that this weekend when Whippo, while he's not playing, he was definitely on the broadcast and did some casting himself, which everybody, I thought, thought it was really, really good. You know, I think a lot of people can appreciate that sort of inside info that, you know, current pros or former pros are going to have, especially those, you know, very small nuanced things that you might not necessarily pick up on during the game as you're watching it as the average viewer. So definitely agree with you when you say getting the players involved in any form whether that is you know bringing them on the analyst desk to you know actually talk about the game what's going on doing some sort of you know fun analysis like budge doing you know the the ranking everybody from 1 to 5 budges or just mm-hmm. the completely random for fun segment that they had with you know Cudi Cinderella, Cudi Cinderella and Spica doing the the cupcake yeah. decorating which you know i think People seem to have, you know, harsh opinions as sort of one way or the other when it came to Cutie Cinderella. I know a lot of comments on Reddit and Twitter were like, ah, this was stupid. Like, what's even the point of this? But there was the complete opposite side where people were like, this is so much fun. Like, it's so much better than just a, an interview that we've seen every single week on a, on a recurring basis. I thought it was great. I thought, I thought it, it was, was great, too. It, it was just yeah. fun. It, it was just a it was a good way to enjoy the break in between the LCS games because that's and always the most painful part for me of watching the LCS broadcast is just the waiting in between. Yeah, and I'm going to steal a take from Travis Gafford here because I think he makes a really good point. He said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, last week he said something along the lines of like, I wish that LCS fans were far more open to having the non-player like player personalities on camera. And he brought up how like how rough it was last year when they had Lily and Michael do the player draw for MSI or whatever it was like, those are the kinds of people that are going to bring in new viewers. And not only that, they're just good personalities on camera. Like they're, they're great. They are just naturals. And I would even say Whippo considering he's no longer a player technically is still a natural with all that knowledge that he brings to the game. So yeah, I I can't say enough good things about the broadcast. It makes me feel uh, a lot more, uh, I'm I'm lost for words here, but it just makes me feel a lot more, I guess, comfortable with how the broadcast is going to go um, for the rest of the year. Um, I guess one other thing we have to shout out was Rafa. I thought he did a great job. Were you able to listen to his his? Because um, I know you mainly a co-stream watcher. Were you able to listen to the Rafa cast? Yeah, I did go back and watch the first game that he casted on Thursday, which was mm-hmm. the fourth game. Yeah. It was after the TL FlyQuest game. I don't remember. I think it was the CLG Dig game, and then he casted the last one as well. But I, I thought he was pretty good. I think I agreed with a few of the some of the comments that I saw on Reddit criticisms? and Twitter talking. Yeah, the, the criticisms were, you know, it, it seemed like he was a bit nervous. But 
you know, yeah, I'm I not going to in between games. I definitely caught some some nervousness, but yeah. nobody's going to fault them for that, of course. Right. And you shouldn't. You know, people are. Right. But you, you should not. This is his first ever cast. It's obviously something that he's probably been dreaming of. I know they had a whole little segment right at the beginning where he was like, this is what I was wanting to do was be here right there in this moment. Like he's just going to get better and better and better. Like, yeah, who, who, who There's never <laughs> you can't really name a caster that just burst onto the scene and just became everybody's favorite, except for maybe Captain Flowers. Yeah. And even but but the thing is, even him, people don't remember how early on he was in the LCS. And they only remember sort of like season seven season. He started in season six summer. That, that was yeah. his first. I think his first time on the LCS was either season six summer or right at the beginning of season seven. And he did sort of become NA's favorite caster by like season eight. But even then, you know, nobody just jumped on his bandwagon right away. I promise you there was also some Captain Flowers haters. Just knowing the LCS and like LCS fans, we know by now, what, what are we, season 13 of League of Legends? We know by now that no matter how good someone is at their job, there will be a hater for them. Um, and honestly, for his first time casting, I think uh, the, the community sentiment uh, for the most part, is just really happy for him and thinks he did a good job. And for his first cast, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Um, anything else that you wanted to... Oh, one thing I actually thought I uh, forgot to bring up was um, with the players getting so involved, so I don't know if you noticed, but all the teams with like on their Twitter and their socials, was it just me or like was there so many players involved, right? In terms of what, just tweeting and in stuff after like their games? The, no, I mean like all the FlyQuest guys were in that Avali video um they were all like there were so many of them that was just part of the regular lcs hype video like they're all part of the the, the golden guardians had all their players doing the funny fu thing like Boy. a lot of the content it, it seems to me anyways that the players are finally getting it that if they don't want this league to die they have to be involved in helping it grow and be as cringe as it may be sometimes and don't get me wrong there's going to be a lot of cringe they recognize that for the product not to die, you have to make it interesting. You have to have people care about you, show up on camera and say things to the fans, even if it is some wacky ass shit like Spica hitting the triangle in that video. Like crap like that, I, I think was so good. Um, and I think that players are going to continue to be involved. And I think, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think they did a really good job of that. Yeah. Well, I definitely agree with you that keeping the content, you know, keeping a, a steady flow of content, whether that is pre-season, during the season, or after the season, it's always important for players to be involved in stuff like that. And, you know, it definitely was good to see. But at the same time, I would also argue, sure, there are more players and whatnot appearing in this content, but is it the players themselves who are actually probably pushing this? Or is it, you know team owners and oh, team managers owners and stuff sure. like that. I, I mean, just, I'm, I'm not implying anything, but by the way you phrased it, you made it sound like, oh, players are so happy to be in content now. It's like, no, no it's I, realistically probably, you know, upper management being like, you guys got to get in, you guys got to be in this content, like no, in, I think in your contract bullshit or something. No, see, that's the, that's the only thing that I disagree with is I don't think it's in their contract. I don't think you can do that. I mean, maybe you can, I don't know. But my point being is, can. I think for for years, they've been telling players that they have to be more involved and they just kind of always say no. Like, like that's something that we've heard from people all the time is that getting the players to do it is impossible. And it seems like they finally understand that it's time for me to get involved in some of the content. And the, the last thing that I'll say is the, the this or that thing that they've done on YouTube for years, right? It was always Kobe and Jet and Captain Flowers did it for a bit and Freak and so on and so forth. I think that is the perfect opportunity to get the like the players that don't talk enough or that are more timid. Like sometimes you'll see some post game interviews 
and I don't know for some reason I'm I'm singling out Fake God. I remember I, it's literally an exactly what I was thinking because I knew well, you. Were, I knew that you were gonna say that. That's so funny that you knew I was going there. But like you see players like that that don't know what to say. I think that this or that segment is a perfect time to bring them on because maybe they don't have to scramble for answers in their head. They're just on a screen in front of them. They pick one or the other. That would be a perfect opportunity to get those types of players involved um, and on the broadcast. But uh, other than, that's my one little criticism. For the most part, it was so damn good. I thought, yeah, anyways, I can't say enough good stuff. I Way more promising than it was going into the season. A big sigh of relief. Yeah, I guess for myself, it'll be interesting to see if the in-between game sort of uh, schedule or sort of changes that they seemingly attempted to do in week one, seeing if those continue throughout the entire season. Because yeah. if I know anything, the Riot game special is introduce something that's new and fantastic that everybody likes and everybody thinks is interesting, but then keeping it extremely vanilla or just copy and pasting what they've done from previously into the current thing and not innovating and just then giving up on it at the end. Be like, okay, we're just going to go back to the old shit. That that's totally fair, and and from the looks of things, it doesn't look like Cutie Cinderella is going to be on any future broadcast at like at least not at the moment. Yeah, she I mean, kind of hinted that it was a one time thing. She, I don't know if she exactly said that. I'm paraphrasing, but it doesn't seem like we're gonna get her for week two. And so, well, since she was such a big part of week one or day one, you kind of got to wonder what they got to follow up in week two. Yeah, and and it doesn't necessarily have to be even every week, but just making doing something to keep the non-gameplay aspect of the broadcast interesting on a week-to-week -week basis is very important because mm -hmm. you know once again i'll be completely honest i couldn't give two shits about what happens in between the games but when they do fun and interesting things that is not the norm like pretty much everything they did this past weekend is stuff that i also found interesting it was like oh let me yeah. keep watching this but unfortunately if it just goes back to the same game ends three minute break interview three minute break analyst desk Three-minute break. I'm not going to watch. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. Um, so let's get into the teams. Before we do, I need to remind people to subscribe, hit the like button, and leave a comment. We need you to help tell YouTube that they need to recommend our content to other people. Uh, and for those that are new to the channel, we do weekly episodes, and you can find them on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any of the Anchor-supported platforms. So just look up the Clown Fiesta podcast, and you will find us, because there is not two of those. So yeah uh okay jnt where are we starting with the teams well we got all these two zero teams on screen now um we're, we're gonna lead it off with tsm because i think going into the season a lot of people thought that tsm was actually gonna be the worst team in the league um if you did catch our last episode um cubby sort of dropped us a little bit of inside info with his tsm ranking saying that tsm well he thought that tsm was a 10th ranked team he basically said that everybody that he talks to also believes that tsm is the 10th place team and while the both of us i think i had him at eight and you had him at nine you might have had them mm -hmm. at eight as well no um, i had him at nine okay well I, either way i think the both of us had a smidgen more faith in tsm than the majority of people did but at the same time they got the 2-0 but they didn't really get the 2-0 did they they <laughs> they did but uh, this is where okay at the start of the episode i said who's the biggest fraud tsm tsm is the biggest fraud and it it's not close to me this team is not as good as the other 2o teams that you're seeing on the screen right now right mm. tsm flyquest c9 clg who stands out like a like a sore thumb tsm uh they were losing both games one of those games being to immortals by the way who we clearly don't think very highly of um 
maybe there's some positive things we could start with though because you can't go too well with being completely trash so i yeah. guess I, I will have to say that I'll, I'll start with maple the azir game i don't remember who that was against but his azir game i remember him putting out a bunch that was of against team liquid that was team liquid. yeah so that good thing there we saw solo do what solo does he plays a tank in the top lane and just waits and scales he did that especially on the orn so like some good signs out of them chime i think chime was the one playing ash had some good ash arrows some good stuff um but some not so great stuff too like their bot lane was kind of getting clapped in their lanes yeah uh their bot i mean they should have lost that game against tl purely through the bot lane um yeah i was honestly a bit surprised when Yon and Core JJ just basically didn't take the game over. Like they were what I think they were 3-0 like at the beginning of the game, not the beginning of the game, but they had two kills by 5 minutes, by yeah. like 5 and a half minutes or something. Uh, yeah, but I think it was by like the 3 and a half minute mark by I think it was the second Drake fight that TSM took. Team Liquid just did nothing with their absolutely like bombastic bot lane lead. Like I was like mm -hmm. there's no fucking way that TSM has any chance in this game. They're just going to get rolled by Lucianami. How are they going to be deal? How are they going to deal damage to Illusion, who's long as hell range with the Nami when they have melee eighty carry champions in Graves, Callista, and Ash? Like the only way you're ever going to kill this guy is by some miracle Azir sweep or by some miracle Ash arrow or something like that that doesn't get Mikhail's. But TL just literally did nothing with their lead, and it was honestly just the classic TSM game where we don't do anything, our opponents don't do anything, we're going to outscale and win the game. That is a classic. Except it's yeah. Except yeah. you don't really expect them to continue to pick up the wins when they do that. Like, yeah, I mean, how is this still how is this still it's, working? It's still working. But you and, know what though, it, and that's it oh, hold on, hold on. But but that's that's part of the reason why I had TSM over you know teams like Golden Guardians and Immortals because TSM a lot of these players on the team they're not going to win you game but they're not going to lose you the game and we'll talk about we'll get to some other teams later. I mean, we saw one of those teams against TSM Immortals. Immortals has players that will lose you the game. Yeah, the the thing is, the do nothing and wait and slowly win made more sense when they had players like Spica and Broken Blade, like guys that I had confidence would win late game, even if they did nothing in the early game. Whereas like looking at TSM's lineup, I don't know how they ended up winning these games in the late game. The only guy that I could say I have like a lot of confidence confidence in is Solo because he's so used to just getting shit on in laning phase. Lose lane, win game is like a solo kind of thing. But like the rest of the squad, I don't really see it. Maybe I'm overlooking things. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like we obviously know this TSM lineup this year is not the same as TSM lineups in the past. But I, I don't know. I don't get it. I don't know how it's still working. Yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't really that surprising to me that TSM, you know, I, I expected them to be one and one mostly because they were going up against Immortals in their first game. But picking up a win against Team Liquid is definitely something that nobody really expected. And I think that is just purely because of the rosters on paper. and. We sort of saw that at the beginning of that game, which is, again, I'll go back to it. My first point, I was just so surprised with TL's just lack of proactivity at all during that game. I think they just expected, after they got those early kills bot lane, they just expected to roll the game over versus like yeah. actually actively doing things to roll the game over. You know, they, I guess, oh, never mind. I was going to get to We'll get into a deeper dive of yeah. TL later. No, yeah, yeah, no yeah. fear of shortage of things to say on TL. We'll get to them in a little bit. Uh, next up, we had FlyQuest. FlyQuest, to me, is hands down the best-looking team this weekend. Agree or disagree, JNT250? Really? 
I yeah. wouldn't say that they were the hands down best looking team, so I guess I would have to disagree. So you're gonna say C nine was or I, I don't think either of them were insanely better than the other. Okay. Uh what were your thoughts on FlyQuest then? Or did you want me to start? I mean, I don't know. I think I mean the main reason why I thought FlyQuest looked better than I maybe thought they would. And not to say that I thought they'd be bad or anything, but Impact was a complete monster in yep. that first team liquid game, playing the Jax versus Gameplank matchup. I know Jax's, I think his win rate in NA after week one is like pretty atrocious. I, I don't think he's actually won a single game that he's been picked. I'll, I'll double check that stat in a second here, but you know, I thought Impact had a really fantastic game on the Gangplank. It's one of his you know, better carry champions. I know we don't necessarily look at Impact as a big carry player, but two of his sort of premier carry quote-unquote picks are kind of like gangplank and mordekaiser so to see him pop up on the gangplank was was really cool um obviously you know the game against team liquid was literally scale up and make it the prince show which is what it was this was a pretty familiar style to the lck which i don't think that a lot of people were surprised about considering team liquid and FlyQuest. so it literally was just an lck game and prince was the better carry and so was impact so I completely agree with everything you're saying. And this was the roster where I think this player got snubbed for player of the week. Uh, do you want to guess who I'm going with, JNT? Prince, I guess. Absolutely. <laughs> I think both games, he was going so hit, like hella aggro, whether it was Zeri or Ezreal. And I just, sometimes AD carries kind of just get fed kills on a platter, you know, like <laughs> they just served up for you. No, man. I, I mean, maybe some of them were, but a lot of them were him doing the work. Uh, using Ezreal E in and picking up the he kill and landing everything. He was playing uh, with his dick out on Ezreal. Like, <laughs> he was Eing in at every available opportunity. Dude, he was absolutely taking over. And by the way, no uh, shade at Fudge, who got player of the week. I just thought this was hands down the, the most 1v9 performance in, in both games uh, that we saw the whole weekend. I thought he was definitely the best player. And so he had one death and it was because they fountain dove to give him the pentakill and they couldn't get it right <laughs> yeah. like he was 9-0-2 in both games and it was with him picking up these kills i was so so impressed so i mean yes it's one week so i'm trying to not get too crazy but holy shit did he live up to the hype uh definitely the mvp and you mentioned impact i thought he was probably the second guy in line as far as the putting on the carry pants he did have a great week and nothing against the other three FlyQuest players. It's not like they were terrible. They just didn't stand out to me like those two guys did. And I think the biggest reason for the 2-0 is Impact and, uh, and Prince. Yeah, big agree. Um, I guess the only, I wouldn't even call it criticism, but I would say one of the reasons why I still, I think, slightly put C9's week one performance over FlyQuest's is FlyQuest pretty much just scaled, I mean, against uh, Team Liquid. And, I mean, obviously, they're playing su such lesser competition against Dignitas, but I guess I just weighted sort of Cloud9's early game and proactivity and stuff higher than FlyQuest's scale-up in late game because, I mean, I think I've said this a million times, if you want to win in North America, the easiest and most likely path to do that is to scale and win the game. It, it's You have good, indiv good individual players, you pick scaling champions, you just don't get run over in lane, and then primarily, if you're the better scaling team, you're just naturally going to win games. So, I don't know. I, I think it always is a little bit more impressive to me when you do see maybe a more aggressive team 
who is winning just as much as a scaling team. I, I think I just slightly weight that a little bit higher. But so you're saying they take over the game early and they don't let go, and that's more impressive to you? Is that just yeah. a gotcha? Mm -hmm. Okay. But uh, but it's always it, it's really hard to to compare the two teams. It, it'll get a bit easier next week because they play each other, and we'll, we'll pick our winners of that, you know, a bit later on. But you know, I, it's week one. Like I, I can't definitively say one team is extremely better than the other, but. I will admit, yeah. I would rate Cloud9's Week 1 performance slightly over FlyQuest's. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, so I, I guess on that note, let's just switch over to C9. The one area that I'm not completely sold on yet is Diplex, which I think is totally warranted, right? Rookie player, there's still a lot of question marks about what this guy's supposed to be. To me, there was just, and maybe you could help me with which game this was, there was the one game where he continuously needed to ask for help from the jungle. Uh, yeah, but that was when his wave, his wave got absolutely fucked, like... Uh, no, but that's that's a skill though, is being able to not get your wave. Like that's wave management is a big part. Yeah, of, but it was any lane for that matter. They, they were kind of explaining it on the co streams when the game was actually going on, but it was like sort of a situation where he was in the midst of like pushing out his wave and they were going for a top lane two v two. So they called for Diplex to come and then he was he was like mid pushing the wave and didn't get to finish pushing, and then Young froze it right in his face, and then basically I don't know. I would say that Cloud9 just did a bad job of breaking the freeze where they just lazily were committing two people to try to break the freeze, which is which I think first was Diplex and Blabber. They tried to run in as to both of them. You can't run up to an Aurelia who is level six to a level five jungler and a level six mid laner with a full wave to stack Qs. And then Blabber left and then support came and then tried it again, sort of. And then that yeah, didn't really work. And then they brought all three of them at the same time. So honestly, if I really had to put any blame on that, I would actually put it on the two teammates who just didn't rock up together to push the wave out. And, just... and even if that's the case, so I, I want to defend him a little bit more because sometimes you won't see on live stream why the wave got messed up like sometimes because the camera's panning all over the place right so there could be other factors that we we may not see necessarily uh on screen so there's that as well but i would even argue that if it's not completely on diplex i still think that's a weakness of the team yeah. not being able to I, help manage ways I, I that think... was a weakness that i saw in cloud nine that i didn't see in FlyQuest. yeah I, so i agree i would say i would put that more on the team than i would say than than an individual player i yeah. I, I agree with what you said also, and, correction, also someday, someday did win a game on Jax. That was where he started like, to take over at the end of that uh, EG versus Golden Guardians game. Um, yeah, and I think we could also acknowledge that even that is being a little bit nitpicky because there wasn't really many things to, to be upset about with either C9 or FlyQuest, but that was just the one thing that kind of stood out to me because having to call Blabber to your lane, like we know what Blabber can do when he's left on his own. Like he will impact side lanes for sure or take an objective. He's very, very aggressive. And so when you're taking him out of his, uh, I'm going to make plays rhythm and he has to come and fix your wave, that's kind of like a deterrent for me. So that's that's why I'm so focused on that thing, even if it's maybe not the biggest deal. Yeah. Um, I, I guess we should talk about Fudge as well. Did get player of the week, let's be honest. I, I don't want to hear he was playing an OP champ. I like... You, we can acknowledge that he was playing an OP champ, but we could also acknowledge that he freaking performed on it, right? Yeah. I don't like, I say this all the time, but I hate that. Oh, well, he was just playing a super OP champ. So it's like, I'm not that impressed. Like, no, come on. Like, he's absolutely taking over games. You got to give credit there. Anyone can ban it. I will never stop saying that on this podcast. He, he had a great weekend. Yeah. I mean, you'll. Don't 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 get me wrong. At least he's playing an OP champion, but 
like Golden Guardians, you can ban this champion. Hundred Thieves, you can ban this champion. You cannot. Like I, I don't know. Like uh, one were thing. Were they first picking it? Like could could those teams have picked it even? Uh no, I think they first picked it in the Hundred T series. Or mm. no, they might have went. I don't know. They might have went Ash first pick in that series. I don't. I don't recall. But I, I want to say it happened. It was in the Hundred Thieves series where they first picked it. Um, but I don't know. Like this Jax versus Cassante thing obviously stemmed from the East because I think that's a really popular matchup in the LCK. But no offense yeah. to all the pros in NA, but you, <laughs> you guys do not have the equivalent hands of an LCK player. And, you know, I think we kind of saw that dynamic at Worlds 2022 where you are taking a large risk putting top laners in skill matchups these days. And unfortunately for both Hunter Thieves and Golden Guardians, they paid for it because Fudge won the skill matchup. I mean, in, in Eastern regions, I think they would, the Eastern regions would probably say that it's slightly Jack's favored, but with the not as proficient hands over in the North American region, I would just like to hypothesize and say that that's Kazante favored. It's so funny to me because you mentioned how we saw what happened at Worlds 2022, okay, but this has been happening for much longer than just like since Worlds where like North America will try to play the stuff that we see played in LCK or LPL. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, even though we see North America never, like, there's a reason why NAJs is a meme. Even though we see North American top laners fail at taking the counter matchup and really doing enough with it, I still don't want to just give in and just say, well, we can't do it, so we'll never try. Like, eventually you got to keep trying and trying to, you know, like, how are you going to compete with these teams if you don't try? If you just accept that you're just always going to get counterpicked and you just accept that you're not as good as the other regions, like, you do need to try to play these champions so I, I don't mind them taking the jacks but it is funny that like we just see it time and time again it's like yeah you just pick the tank and in north america you're probably going to win with you have the orn or in this case the cassante who's busted and so on and so forth uh, and, and i definitely agree but i think that's also some of the onus or you know blame i guess i would say onus being both blame and recognition is you know to those individual players who have confidence to pick that skill matchup or if they aren't as comfortable and feel that they need to default to some sort of a tank. And, you know, with Cassante being a new champion in that, I, I think it's not necessarily something that I want to just like destroy these other top laners for saying, Oh my God, you think you can beat Cassante? You fool. It's like people are like with this, this champion came out, what, three months ago? Like it's still going to take a little while for everyone to understand like the full nuances of the champion, how the yeah. lane works, how it team fights, whatever, whatever. I know I don't, I, I didn't listen to the co-streams for this game specifically, but I think it was it was one of the games that Whippo was casting, and he was referencing, I could sort of hear it in the background, but he was referencing, he was talking about Cho'Gath versus Cassante mm-hmm, because he yeah. played it on stream, and I was actually watching him stream that night before LCS, mm. and he played that matchup on stream and literally was just like destroying this random Cassante. I mean, it, it was like, oh, So you was, don't know who he was I mean, playing but against? It, it was like a challenger MMR solo queue game, so presumably okay. the top winner he's playing against, but he was just saying like, Last night, he found out that Cho'Gath is a pretty good champion into Cassante because you can just destroy him in lane. And I was like, okay, well, that'll be interesting to see now over the coming weeks if we see a champ like Cho'Gath come into the meta because Cassante <clears throat> is taking over and he can be you know, a champion to beat that. And if we see that, that's when you have to credit those players who are willing to whip out those picks on stage. So if we see Tenacity next week, pick, up, pick a Cho'Gath into Cassante and roll him over, like that's big props to Tenacity. But yeah. unfortunately, he got shit on in the C9 game. And the thing is, too, in that game, it was just by one auto. Like, 
I'm, maybe I'm not being completely fair, but like it felt like that one auto where they 1v1 and he dies. It felt like the game just swung completely in Cloud9's favor because of that. Like they end up getting uh, Rift Herald with the pressure that he got. They got more plates and it felt like the game sort of snowballed off this 1v1 that was really, really close. And while I'm not doing the full game justice because there were other factors in that game, it just kind of felt a little bit bad for Tenacity. Um, but anyways, interesting game nonetheless. Mm -hmm. uh, anything else on C9 or should we go CLG now? Uh, yeah, I mean, the only other thing that I would say is, while I think Fudge probably deservedly won MVP just for his, you know, uh, for his performance, Blabber was also really good. In the yeah, last he week. had a good it, week. It was, that was prime regular season spring split Blabber we just saw right there. Just Which, as a C9 fan, I'm guessing you're pretty, you're pretty happy to see that, right? That's oh, one of the... I mean, Best signs is seeing as himself. Every right? every single spring split, he's just rolling kids, and that's he's doing it. So all things are a go. So it hadn't even crossed your mind. You knew what you were getting before the season even started. Well, it was just good to see that the norm stayed the norm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's do CLG now. Um, should I start with the good or the bad? Let's, let's start with the bad. Feeling a bit naughty right now. Uh, I think the same problem that we saw in summer. <laughs> you know where i'm going with this. yeah 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 like dokla's dying a little bit too much man and <laughs> the thing is i don't want to hammer this home every week but i don't know how to not talk about it when he's dying for far more often than he should be so like what am i supposed to say he's just overextending and dying that's the same old story and I really do think that yep. if they have a solid top laner if dokla plays like the way he did at the start of summer this team can be really, really good. They talked about the wiggle room. That's been the meme of like how far CLG can wiggle. Some people are saying they could wiggle up to third, some people fourth and whatever, and, and wiggle all the way down to seventh. After this week one, I feel like a lot of people have them wiggling in between fourth and fifth place. But with a solid top, I could totally see that third place wiggle. Well, I'm going to pat myself on the back here because our power rankings included and also every other power ranking that I saw had mm -hmm. CLG at seventh. Or below, pretty much. Uh huh. And I put them sixth. And this is the part. Yeah, wow. And this I JNT pats himself on the back for putting course, them sixth. Of course, of course, I did. Also, nice. because I knew this team was gonna be better than Dignitas. And we'll throw, we're gonna throw Dig a little bone here. They didn't have their full roster. We didn't actually mention this uh, with FlyQuest either, but they had a. Uh, they didn't have Ayla. They had Winsome, but in the mm -hmm. grand scheme of things, that didn't really matter. Prince was just destroying everybody. Um, but for Dignitas's case, they didn't have their bot lane that they're supposed to. But once again, I don't really know if that mattered too much. But uh, back over to CLG, you know, I definitely I don't think I was in the category of people that thought that they could push higher than maybe even fourth or fifth. I mean, we always sort of go back to this top five versus bottom five thing in the LCS. And it does feel like CLG is that one team who can potentially break the cycle this year. Um, we saw that a little bit last year as well. You know, CLG, while they did sort of get, I think their highest they got was third in the standings towards the end of the season. Ultimately, they did finish, I believe, sixth um, post-playoffs. But if there is one of these bottom teams to sort of push up into that top five, if we want to call it that already, it's definitely CLG. And I did put a lot of value in their uh, keeping the entire roster from 2022 to 2023. I think mm -hmm. regardless of what team you are, Keeping multiple players from a year prior is always going to help your early season performance just with continuity and familiarity and whatever. So expect yep. CLG to probably continue to be a pretty decent team. 
the most important thing that'll be important to look at CLG moving forward is are they making those improvements on a weekly basis? And improvement number one, we already we already found it. It's been known for for about a year now. Oakland's got to stop dying in side lanes. Yeah, that's that's the only real like standout negative thing, or that was like really really standout. I'm sure there was some other smaller things that I'm just looking over. Um, the big standout in the positive light is contracts, and we've said countless times we're not the only ones to say that like this team lives and dies by contracts because we've seen contracts do really really well, and we've seen them really run it down. And the best sign, if you're a CLG fan, is seeing what Contracts did this weekend. Uh, one of the more impressive plays to me was he invades against Santorin, against Dignitas. He anticipates that Santorin has to come to this quadrant of the jungle, hides in a brush, chunks out Santorin. Now Santorin can no longer fight. He's down to like 30 or 40% HP. I don't remember exactly. And you can clearly tell Contracts makes the call that, hey, their jungler can't come. I see you guys got a wave stacked up bot. Let's dive bot. And they start to snowball that game. To me, that was contracts getting the ball rolling, which we've seen plenty of times. That's one of the best signs for CLG is contracts being proactive, knowing what's going to happen and making the play. Yes, contracts beast. Yeah. Now, the other thing I'll say as well is I thought Palafox had a really good game against EG, but I do have to say that like he kind of got snowballed when Jojo Pyun gave him the 850 gold. So, like, yeah. just a little side note there, but his Casio really started dishing out some damage in the later game fights, and so there's also got to be some credit there. Yeah, especially that play where he flashed over the sort of blue buff on blue side, the blue buff wall between blue buff and Baron. He, like, flashed mm -hmm. alt W'd that wall and had three people in the Miasma and basically forced all of EG's carries off of the fight, preventing... EG's backline from hitting the front line and CLG's front CLG's backline was hitting EG's front line for free and that that basically won them that entire Baron fight. So credit Palafox on that team fight. He was the reason. Yeah. Last thing I got on CLG is we can definitely you mentioned how like them bringing in the same roster. You expect to see them have some synergy. We absolutely saw that in the one play where Dokla baits out uh santorin and armut to go on him right they see santorin st standing on the ward they call for the ash arrow from the base that play was sweet by the way that's the kind of stuff that you expect to see out of a team that's been playing together clearly they show that they have synergy brought in and they have good comms and they could just make it what is a really nice play it was a smart play not incredible from a mechanics perspective but from just a communication perspective very very well played and that, that was nice to see so another another plus in the column for for CLG. All right, we'll move on to our our one and one teams. We got our you know preseason favorites and one of the top teams in the LCS Evolve twenty twenty Evil Geniuses and the uh I was I don't know I was gonna give one hundred thieves like a title or something but I I just couldn't think of one in the moment. One hundred thieves are also one and one. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the 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 goat crew or whatever I don't know. <laughs> Oh, man, we'll have to work on that. Okay, let's start with EG. We asked the question, what's wrong with JoJo? Are you starting or am I starting with this one? He's doklaing it a bit. I don't know. Like, I think it's as simple as he is just not respecting when he can die or, or respecting when the other team could be in that brush, for example. He is dying in lane from pushing up without vision. He's dying in side lanes from pushing up without vision. He's dying while just walking into the jungle by clearing vision. Like, these are very much... Um, They're rookie mistakes that he's making and mistakes so that we saw perfect. him make as a rookie. You comp you're on the exact same page as me. Uh, this is very reminiscent of what we saw at the start of spring last year. And so, while I can acknowledge his landing phase has been great, 
because he is getting CS leads. This is exactly what we saw last year. And I don't know whether to be like, well, it's fine because we know as the, as the split went on last year that he got so much better. Or if I should be disappointed that it's like we've gone a full year, but he's come full circle and he feels like a fresh rookie again. I don't know whether to be like, this is okay or this is not okay. But the biggest problem is he's just not respecting his enemy uh, anywhere. Just map awareness is really poor about where they could be and how they could kill him. Yeah, I mean, especially in that CLG game, the play where he gets kind of caught out near the Krug pit and gives Palafox like almost a thousand gold. That was yeah, eight hundred and fifty gold. That was yeah. like a big turning point in that game because and he died more times than that too. He was the reason they lost that game. Yeah, but but that specifically, I mean, Rise is normally Rise sort of functions similarly to Cassiopeia. You know, you want to scale, get your items because your items mean damage. And uh, we kind of saw from that point in the game onward, Palafox really take control of that game. And I think just that one play in particular really just swung the game. And that was, you know, if, if you want to point, if you want to point to moments that are game losing mistakes, that's one of them. Yeah. And so with the, the thing that I brought up about, it's okay because we know as last year he got better or, or is this like a bad thing that like, well, he's back where he was a year ago. How, what, how, what lens are you looking at it through? Probably the, I guess, disappointment that, you know, he's still making rookie mistakes. I mean, if we want to compare it, I mean, not if we want to, but if you compare it to like regular sports, when you have rookies on any team, you know, you expect going into their first year that they're going to make some some relatively mm -hmm. simple mistakes, ones that can that can be corrected, ones that can be learned and, you know, can learn from and get better because of those mistakes. However, once you're a veteran in, in the league, and yes, even though this is his second year, you know, he's a veteran in this league at this point. He has played two seasons in LCS, went to MSI, and went to Worlds. It's not like he's just a player who played in the LCS on a bottom tier team. He was a top player in the LCS that went to MSI Worlds, and he's still making these simple mistakes that you, rare, you will rarely see from other top pros in any given region. And I guess, considering all of that, that's why it's a problem. Yeah, I admit that I am in the it's a problem camp, but I will be very quick to forgive if he gets to what he did last year, because I, obviously... I right? think so as well, but, you know, yeah. easier said than done, I guess. Yeah. Uh, another guy to point out, Inspired is still freaking amazing. Um, I think it was their first game, but I, I could be wrong. The one game, he invades a completely empty jungle, but I think this is calculated. Uh, what I mean by that is he sees that his bot wave is stacking up for a dive. If he invades and there's no camps there, I think he's communicating with probably Vulcan just because they have that synergy from last year, but maybe FBI as well, that I'm going to invade this quadrant. If there's camps here, I'll take them. And you guys have shove, so you can back me up anyways. If there's no camps here, I know they're junglers topside and you guys have a built up wave and we're going to dive bot. So to me, that was just like, a, it's a win-win play, and that was just really smart out of Inspired. Even in one of the, maybe it was an analyst desk segment, I don't remember, but Vulcan pointed out that he even micromanaged them on the one play, telling Vulcan to shoot his arrow at, I think it was Stixay, when he's charging up his Varus Q. Like, it was just like, I, I won't go too deep into what the play was, but basically, Vulcan hit the Ash arrow, and he was credit, giving credit to Inspired for calling for the Ash arrow to do that. And I'm like, how is this guy jungling, uh, trying to track the enemy jungler, but also telling his laners when to use their abilities? Like, <laughs> that is just like, what the hell is going on, man? How is he doing all this? I, I can't say enough good things about JoJo, or, or uh, excuse me, Inspired. I still think he's the best jungler in the league. Kind of kind of crazy. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to see what other junglers will enter or re-enter the conversation, but it's Blabber and Inspired right now. You know, it, it's only week one, but just 
the level of play from inspired was even in a poor week we want to call it them going one and one and not looking the greatest inspired still looked really good yeah yeah i agree um 100 thieves now where should we start with 100 thieves i think a lot of people want to get into the azir support stuff yeah i guess we can start with that um i thought the co-streams said it well actually it was um ls's video actually it Mm. was ls i mean it was the clips from the co-stream but it was like a 10 minute video of watching the c9 versus hunter t game and i think he boiled it down pretty well um with the way that they drafted basically banning the the top three ad's right now and zeri lucian and sivir they basically forced the opponents into the ashheimer and then got azir for themselves because they believe that azir support is good into ashheimer and so i completely agree with that you know and i think that's somewhat accurate just based on the logic following it obviously he's a more intelligent person about league than i am so i will sort of defer to him a little bit here but that makes a lot of sense and while that is good on the reverse they altered their entire draft for this one specific scenario which was to win bot lane and all they really did was go up 10 cs i mean yeah and they had it seemed to be that they had nothing else beyond that. It was like, okay, we're gonna do this entire thing, warp the entire game and the entire draft to win bot lane and win through bot lane. We went up 10 CS and didn't do fuck all. So I was not a huge fan of the Azir support, but I do still think it's kind of getting scapegoated here. Um, because I mentioned earlier how like that 1v1 between Tenacity and Fudge kind of swung the game. As soon as Fudge got that kill, he got the tempo and they were able to take Harold and he was able to get more plates. And then they used the Harold to take out the rest of the turret. So to me, that's where the game kind of got lost. Even though like you could definitely blame the Azir later on. During lane, it was fine. They got a lead. The problem that I have with the Azir pick is that it's not like an enchanter where your AD carry feels a lot more safe because he's got sustain or he's got shields or whatever. It's not like that. And so you need that Azir. The only tool that the azir has after laning phase is maybe you get the rylize slow i saw you built rylize yeah or or killing yourself for the shuffle exactly and that's it you have the shuffle but he had no stopwatch and no zonias so like because you don't really have that good of an income of gold income as a support you're not really going to get that stopwatch or zonias for a while and so that's where i don't like the pick i understand why it's good for lane and and i realize right now there's a lot of the the meta is to win bot lane it just seems like everyone's doing whatever they can yeah but i don't think you can risk the rest of your game that much just to get the push for example in lane like i i don't think the sacrifice they made is worth it and that's why i don't like the azir pick yeah i I guess i I somewhat agree with you there because i think I, i don't necessarily think that azir support was the sole reason why they lost that game the problem was is not necessarily even when shit hit the fan just when their comp didn't do you know exactly what it was supposed to do which is win the game through bot lane yes they had a bot lane advantage that netted them the first dragon honestly should have netted them the first rift herald as well it was really criminal that cloud nine just literally hashtag heisted the rift herald 4v5 like I have no idea how that happens, and nobody on Cloud9 is dying for it. Admittedly, really good Cyclone by Blabber on the on the pullout to to just not die because 100 yeah. Thieves threw, like, they Jax jumped on him. I think they Azir dashed on him, and I think Closer was, like, in the midst of getting ready to go, and he basically just Cycloned at the exact time that everybody used all their jumping abilities to cancel them. So I guess credit to Blabber on that. But the fact that 
they won bot lane. I mean, they still won bot lane if you, if you go back and watch the lane, but they only got the one drag off it, didn't get the Rift Herald, and then they just seemed to have no plan afterwards. That was the biggest problem for me is it didn't go exactly the way you wanted it to go. So how do we deviate? What do we do next? And 100 Thieves didn't do anything. And I think that escape play that you're talking about with Herald, where Blabber uses the, the Wukong ulti to escape, that to me, when they were walking down that choke towards blue buff, was maybe the one scenario where I thought the Azir could have shuffled over the wall, over blue buff wall. To he might have only been level five, though, to be honest. Oh, that's possible. I I think he was six, but you, you could be right. I, I might be wrong about that. But regardless, to me, that would have been the only situation the whole game where I thought maybe he could go for the ulti. There was no other scenario where he had the opportunity, I guess is what I'm saying, throughout the rest of the game. So maybe he was level five, and that was not a... Uh, you could look that up and let me know. Maybe there was no opportunity there, but it definitely felt like there was no opportunity after that, which also made the Azir look even more useless. Um. So yeah, and then... I, I guess when it comes to like mid, I didn't really. There was nothing that really stood out with Bjergsen, honestly, from from this weekend. Yeah, I mean, he. I guess the only interesting thing with he with that there. game from the mid lane was, I mean, I think a lot of people. I mean, I guess I don't, I don't, I don't even know. But to me, it seems like Silas versus Akali is a skill matchup, and Bjergsen lost a skill matchup to Diplex, a rookie player playing his first game in the LCS, and that's not necessarily. Did he lose it though? Well, like, he was, was he behind? He was, he was down CS, so... Hmm. I, mean, I didn't think he was, but I, to be honest, I didn't really keep I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think he it. was playing bad or anything, but considering that you're in a skill matchup versus, like, you're the most tenured player in, in the league right now and you're against a rookie, and... I don't know, because... I, no, I think that's fair. Maybe, 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 fair maybe my thoughts are just a bit skewed because I'm thinking of, like, Jensen versus Bjergsen first game where Jensen was, like, obviously extremely nervous and playing, like, dog shit and Bjergsen was shitting on him, but he was playing, like, You're thinking AP of the dog AP Cog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, maybe that's, maybe that's just that stuck in my head, and I'm thinking, like, yeah, this is what it this is what the best mid laner versus a rookie player is supposed to look like, and it didn't look like that, but I don't know. I mean, that that it's, I don't even know what to say about 100 Thieves. They played, like, dog shit against Cloud9 where they did some weird thing that didn't work. I'm not going to, like, ruin them for it. And then they played Immortals. Like, eh, eh. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the thing, right? There, I guess two things about double lift here. The Cloud Nine game, I gotta give credit to Berserker for landing the Ash Arrows. The one, so I actually, I I watched double lift came out with a video like going over. He was watching Medios's co stream and he was going over the games and he confirmed what I had. I did my research and he confirmed this that the one Ash Arrow that he gets comboed first gets Ash Arrowed into Wukong ult. He his flash was up in one second, and I'm like, because I was as I was rewatching the VOD, I'm looking at the Ash Arrow cooldown, I'm looking at his flash. It was one second, and he confirmed it on his stream, so that I kind of felt bad for, like bummer. But he also said, and the other point that I was going to bring up is that he should have brought cleanse, and that was something that I was saying to Andrew when he and I were watching the game together. I, I was saying I think he probably regrets not taking the cleanse, and sure enough, that cost him. The other thing in the Immortals game is he just took over tactical decided to sit under tower as immortals went to rift herald double lift and and busio called for the dive and they just dove him and killed him traded one for one but then double lift continued to take plates and then take over the game so um i guess you could give him a little bit of criticism for kind of losing the game against c9 kind of sorta and then you can give him credit for beating imt although he himself would tell you that they better freaking smash imt right yeah and just uh Correct myself. Lucio was seven at that Rift Herald fight. Okay, I thought that, I was thinking I of the. Was able to I was thinking of the first Rift Herald, which he was level five for, but it was the second one. And when you were rewatching it, could you see if he was in range to go for the scoop? No, all I literally did was find and just I, I did not. 
I think he was, but I, I could be wrong. Regardless, well, I, I, it didn't seem like there was I, any opportunities later. I didn't too. see when I was rewatching the video, but if I remembered correctly, he was trying to, but just got disrupted by the Cyclone. But maybe mm. I'm not remembering correctly, but there was two people going on him. One of them was the Jax, 100%. I'm pretty sure the other one was Azir, but maybe it was closer. But either way, it did seem like 100T was trying to force that engage, but Blabber just had a really nice Cyclone to, to stop it. Okay, and let's go to the O2 teams now, unless you have anything more on these two. Yeah, I mean, similar to, um, I mean, not similar to, but for Tenacity, I guess, I'm not really putting a lot of stock into his week one performance. I mean, he, he lost a skill matchup in top lane, and he was playing Orn versus Renekton, where I think we've seen that matchup play out like a, a billion times, where nothing is even going to happen anyway, so... He played the Renekton, right? Yeah, he played Renekton. I mean, he got a... Yeah, and I think he had a he little a, bit of a lead. He got a CS lead. It's supposed to happen, but... Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's start with the O2 squads. Yeah. Just... One of these teams doesn't belong with the other teams. Yeah, one... One is an imposter here. Uh, Team Liquid. They're O2. Um, kind of an unfortunate O2, considering the fact that they played TSM and everyone expects TSM to be a bad team and everyone expects Team Liquid to be a good team. So... Should we give some, some cope to the TL fans? I, I could give some cope a little bit. Sure. I think... I think their macro plays were fine. I think some of the biggest issues were just some lack of communication, which I wasn't expecting, considering they all are... Apparently, they all speak Korean. We kind of learned that even when you all speak the same language, you could still have lack of communication or issues with communication because there was the game against FlyQuest where Harry uses his Syndra combo before the Vi ultimate, which really makes no sense. It's the freest combo. Let Vi hit R. It's point and click. She's not going to miss Vi ultimate. It can't happen. And then you follow up with the scatter. Um, so they missed that. And because they missed that combo, it was turned back on them and Speak ended up getting first blood. So that was like a, just a little bit of a miscommunication on how to chain CC. And similar to that in the bot lane against TSM, I think they should absolutely snowball the game when Piosik lands the Sejuani ult onto someone I don't remember. And CoreJJ is a little too slow to follow up with the bubble. Um, there's a couple things that could have happened there. Either Core was waiting for Harry to roam and he wasn't ready for the full dive yet, or maybe his bubble was still on cooldown and it wasn't ready. But like the point is that should be a pretty free CC chain and they weren't able to, to chain the CC there. And so those two plays are where I just kind of came up with this conclusion that like they're just a little bit lacking on um, some synergy, if you will. Yeah, I but mean, for I... the most part, their macro plays were fine. So I don't look at them as the same as Dig, Golden Guardians, or Immortals. Yeah, I mean, it's everyone's really pointing to their performance against TSM as one of the reasons why you know people are like, oh, TSM, it's like they or sorry, TL is you know this team's not going to be very good, or it's people are like, oh, I told you so, TL's not going to be good, it's like. You know, yeah, I, there's not really a ton to take away from their game against FlyQuest in terms of anything good or bad, really. I think they just kind of played the scaling versus scaling game. And, you know, I think we talked about it a little bit before, but you just got to credit the carries of FlyQuest of just being more useful and effective over the TL carries. And I thought that was part of the reason why they mainly won that game. So I don't, I don't really have to fault too much in the grand scheme of things with Team Liquid on their game against FlyQuest, but... The game against TSM, I think, you know, is scary for a couple of reasons. One, we sort of already talked about it just now and even in the TSM segment. Team Liquid should be able to snowball that game through bot lane. And the fact mm -hmm. that they, one, 
weren't. Two, didn't really make attempts to do that by, you know, not taking early dragons, you know, uh, although in that game, you know, TL sort of, TL seems to be, to me, that team that is going to go for the two Rift Heralds over the first two dragons. But I think that when you are picking a bot lane with a lot of, you know, priority, it's just always very important to find those timings where you can get those early dragons because it's basically just like free win condition. You know, regardless yeah. of whatever the hell team comp you're playing, stacking dragons is just a free win condition 99% of the time. So, you know, just the fact that they couldn't snowball the game or didn't snowball the game or just didn't feel the need to, one, that's a problem. Two, Summit's performance in that second game against TSM is part of the reason why he got dumped off of Cloud9 and didn't have a team going into, you know, early or sort of mid-2022. And, you know, he sort of came back later in the year with FPX and was a substitute top for them for a little while. But was literally copy-paste Summit gameplay of what we saw in this game right here to what, what we saw. It was. It was literally the exact... I'm not, to, I'm not saying to, like, early Summit, to like, early scene on Summit, but, like, struggling Summit. This was exactly what we saw. We saw, hey, this guy's going to pick Gnar or Aggressive Top Lane Champion. Hey, we're going to pick AFK Tank, do nothing. Hey, we're going to send our jungler to protect our top laner when waves are getting sacked up. And when we find proper gang timings, oh, guess what? TSM did that the entire game. Boogie was hovering topside when waves were getting <coughs> sacked on him. And they found those timings when Pioship was showing on the opposite side of the map. They can go up and pressure Summit. So, I don't know. It, to me, it just was a very big problem that this looked like an exact copy-paste Summit gameplay game from end of spring 2022. So, I would be lying if I said that I didn't think of the connection of oh this is kind of the issues that he had with cloud nine but the the reason why i fall on it's not exactly copy paste is because i remember him getting ganked a lot and and really screwing the pooch in lane but in all fairness in lane he was up like 30 cs and had plates and stuff like that it wasn't until after the laning phase to me that he started running it down in this game so that's why i thought it was a little bit different am i getting some of that wrong you think? i mean I'd have to remember, but I don't remember a point where he was up 30 CS, but maybe, I don't know. But I got in my notes here 30 CSD by 14 minutes, so you can go around 14 minutes, and you'll probably see it somewhere around there. Maybe it was like 29 CS, I don't know. But Fair enough. I, just, yeah. that's okay. And then three plates, and three plates. Yeah, so three, like, three plates is obviously important, for sure. Things are going well in lane. That's, that's my takeaway. It wasn't until after. Now, mind you, he did have the outplay against Maple, which was a pretty big play. Just that's not enough to make up for dying well. Quite often, how many useless, like meaningless deaths did he have? Quite like a bit, right? Three or four. Yeah, and so I, the the comparison to the Cloud Nine is that he was running it down. To me, it was just a little bit different at which point in the game he started running it down, and so that's why I didn't think it was a complete copy and paste. But there are some parallels to draw, um, and I could totally see why some Team Liquid fans are kind of monka. But I would say to those Team Liquid fans, relax. They still had some really nice macro plays. There's just some small little things that I think can get ironed out pretty quickly, and I don't expect this team to continue to struggle. But I've been wrong before. I have been wrong before. Yeah, I I think TL is going to be all right. I think, you know, for me, the most important thing is, you know, Summit in the top lane just to see something different. Um, That's mainly it. I know I, I didn't necessarily have the expectation that Team Liquid was just going to come in and start stomping the league. You know, I did think that, the, some of the older, you know, more, you know, familiar teams that have, you know, same players as previous years, like the EGs, like the C9s, were going to be on top of the league to begin. And then I also did expect 
you know, you got these teams that have a lot of individual talent, but not necessarily have been playing together for a long time. Your team liquid like Western 100 Thieves to sort of pick up their momentum to the mid and end parts of the split. But, you know, TL fans, it's going to be all right. You know, you guys will be okay. As long as we see some, some good things at a summit that aren't just one v nine in a lane phase, then we'll, then we'll be good. One last thing I have on TL that I thought was risky, but still interesting. Do you remember the one play where I think it was Piosik and Harry continue to push back TSM? Like TSM was like kind of running away from them forever. And TL kind of postured like they were going to re-engage on them. Um, this was in the top lane. Do you remember what I'm talking about? No, I'm trying to think though, but. Basically, TSM was kind of disengaging a fight. They had already gotten one pick, and TL kind of made it look like they were going to re-engage. But all they were doing was stopping the TSM bases. And the reason why I liked it, first of all, it's risky, because if TSM would have started a fight, I think TL loses it. But all they were doing was stopping the bases, and it allowed Summit to TP in and grab an extra tower. That, to me, was just a really smart macro play that like I don't think most teams do. But I have to admit that it's risky because they're kind of like chunked out, but they're still chasing TSM with with TL having lower-ish health bars. So it was a little bit risky, but an interesting macro play nonetheless that stood out to me. And I think in the most part, it's a good thing. Anyways, just a play that I wanted to highlight, but I can't, I should have timestamped it so that people could know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> Anyways, that's it for them. Uh, what, Dig? Yeah, Should we, we got Dignitas. You know, I I did mention it a little bit earlier. They're not playing with their full roster. They did have Biofrost. I don't even is he the is he their academy or an NACL support or is I he just know. filling in for? He was signed already. I know that he was signed because I remember seeing it a little while back. I don't know if he was supposed to be academy or not, but I know that he was signed. I just forgot to bring it up when we did our last episode like two weeks ago or whatever. Um, so yeah. I know it wasn't like a complete last second thing. Um, anyways, I, I couldn't tell you when he signed. Just wanted uh, to, I just wanted to look up the, really the bot lane looked like trash, though. Yeah, they um, looked like shit. I, I'm a little bit worried for the bot lane. And you mentioned how, like, we don't know how long they've been practicing together. The, I remember Dom tweeting out that Armut was in, in Europe, like, a week before the season started. So, like, definitely some issues there. But I'm still really concerned with how hard their bot lane was getting clapped. Yeah, so it, in, interestingly enough, sorry, um, Biofrost is not listed on their uh, Dig Challengers team, which is basically their academy team. Diamond is the support mm -hmm. for that. So mm -hmm. I honestly wonder if Biofrost literally just got the call late to just fill in because he either is still probably under contract with Dig and just isn't on a team or just has familiarity with the team. So I'm not exactly sure, but. The fact that he's not listed as a starter on their LCS team or on their Academy slash Challenger League team, probably it, it leads me to believe that he was probably just emergency filling in. Um, but I guess to just to get back to more of the broader scope of Dignitas, I wasn't expecting this team to do well at all whatsoever, um, especially after the fact that Dig released some video. Uh, I don't know. I, I saw it was... I just remember seeing the video. I don't remember what the video title was. I don't even remember what the hell the video was. But Jensen was giving like a little mini interview in this video. And he said that one week out into LCS, Armut hadn't arrived and they literally had not practiced together at all as a team. Yeah. So unfortunately, I think with that information and with the performance that we saw this past weekend, I think that Dignitas is probably going to just be sandbagging Spring Split. Uh, not because they're terrible, just because they probably won't be able to pick up the pieces in time to be a good team come playoffs. So 
This might just be a team that we throw on the back burner for a couple weeks here. Yeah, it felt like there was just no ability to recover from how hard their bot lane was getting crapped on. Like <laughs> the the problem the problem with it is like their bot lane's getting smashed. So like that completely takes away one of the areas that Santorin can go, right? So if you're if you're jungling from that point of view, like that lane is just dead. You can't save it. They're just getting hard stomped. And so the the other team kind of knows like Santorin can either play around mid or he could go top. And it kind of felt like you saw him go top over and over and over again. And I think that's one of the reasons why CLG was able to set up that bait so well was because it felt like they knew, hey, Santorin's going to come up here, man. There's no way he's going bot right now. Their bot lane is just, they're giving up on that. Yeah. And, and so that's one issue. But the other thing that I will give them some credit on is they team fought pretty well in the game against FlyQuest. They did have the Rift Herald fight where they won that fight. To me, that was a good macro play where they did their rotation. They got there in time. They took the fight. Jensen got a couple of kills. So it wasn't all bad. It just felt like the gap in the bot lane was too big for them to overcome. And yeah. so that was the biggest issue. And I think it was in both games, if my memory serves, that their bot lane was getting It stopped. was. And I think that was sort of something that I referenced in our last episode where we were talking about you know giving our, sort of our pre-split rankings. You know, my main concern for Dig and one of the reasons why I had them seventh below even the CLG and the rest of the other teams, because this is a team that on paper could be a upper bracket team. I say I don't mean upper bracket like upper bracket playoffs, but just upper bracket of the standings. But mm. it just doesn't look like that is going to happen. And I think a lot of that will have to do with their bot lane, even though they will get Ignar back at some point. I don't think there's really been any indication uh, when he might be able to get to an A, mm -hmm. but um, I just think their bot lane is just unfortunately not going to be good enough compared to the rest of the bot lanes. You see them, you saw them get destroyed by CLG's bot lane, and CLG doesn't have a yeah. fantastic bot lane by any means compared not to the rest of lane, no. But I'm but saying yeah. compared to the rest of the bot lanes, they're also going to play. I mean, you saw what happened when you know they Fly played Quest, FlyQuest, <laughs> and they didn't, yeah. and they didn't even have their full bot lane. So yeah, the sorry, but they did have the best player of the weekend though, as per me. It's true. Anyway, no, I, I think it's a fair point, though, that, like, it's not just that they got crapped on by FlyQuest. They also got crapped on by CLG. So, yeah. And, and then with the FlyQuest game, it was, like, pretty much just free dragon stacking, right? Because their bot lane was continuously getting stomped. That was another problem that they had to deal with, is that they couldn't really contest drag by the time Soul came around. Yeah, I mean, um, if if you're ever going to give a an NA grade for a team, I say NA as in non-applicable, not North America, we can give that we can give that to Dignitas for the first couple weeks of this season. I'm sorry, Dignitas, but I, I am not even going to pay attention to you for the next couple weeks. Yeah, does it is it okay? A little bit of a tangent here, but does it not feel like any time there's a team dealing with visa issues that like there's almost all like we'll say like eighty percent of the time it's really detrimental to that player slash team. Like, oh, didn't yeah. even Core JJ have issues last spring? Like, Core JJ didn't have the greatest year last year. Is it in part at all? Am I just coping hard if I say that's because it took forever for the visa thing to come through? I mean, probably. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with gelling with the team. You know, even Armut was there playing, but I think he got to NA like the Monday of the week they were supposed to play <laughs> yeah. or something. So, and in that video that I'm, or in that Jensen clip that I'm referencing where he basically said that Armut's not here and we have not even practiced as an entire team and we're one week out, like, dude, no fucking way you're going to be like, any good to begin the season like yeah if, if you were to tell me any team if you were to tell me that you know even even cloud nine when they're what berserker and 
wasn't there for a while to begin the year, and they had King and Destiny playing for for three weeks, and they were like three and three, and their bot lane was fucking terrible. But and we saw that in the rest of the team because kind of you mentioned it already. Like you now just have one less lane to work off of almost the whole game if if your boss is going to be that bad. So. And it wasn't really until summer, like late summer, that C9 really turned it on. So that's an area you could point to mm-hmm. as well. But I guess you could also just point to FlyQuest and say they're playing with Winsome right now, and that's and there's no problem there. So Yeah, but I, I mean, know. again, not to, not to flame FlyQuest, but they were literally just scaling. So. <laughs> and well, I'm a big fan against of the scaling, they, huh? <laughs> it's just not like I, I just can't give somebody like insane credit when they just scaled and won. I mean, I can give them credit because, you know, they did what they were supposed to do, scale and win, but. Yeah. Considering Fly's competition, considering Fly's competition during that, especially like I'm not like, you, sorry Dignitas, you got your shit kicked in by Prince. Like, doesn't really matter. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily blame you for thinking that way because I think what we see when it comes to international tournaments, we do see a lot of the time that like you're not able to just hang out and win later. So you thinking Fair about enough. worlds already? Jesus, bro, the season. I always just think about worlds, the, dude. That's what we care about. Like, let's be honest. Yes, North America gets shit on at every world. But the reason why we keep coming back every year is because we want that one year to come back. That 2018 where C9 made their run to semi. Like, and don't get me wrong. Like, spring finals and summer finals are great. But worlds is what it's all about, baby. If you ask me, like, do I want the teams to look really good in NA finals? Or do I want them to look good at worlds? I want them to look good at worlds. Done deal. So, yeah. I'm, yeah, I am thinking about worlds. All right. Well, moving on to the two teams who definitely aren't that making worlds. worlds. That definitely aren't making worlds. I'll tell you that right damn no now. No shot. Okay, I mean, go ahead. I'll start with Golden Guardians because maybe they're slightly less stinky than Immortals, but um, you know, unfortunate visa situations for this team as well. Uh, Gory yep. not in the lineup. Young, uh, honestly, never even heard of him before this week. He stepped in. Honestly, I thought he did a half decent job. Like. If I had to pick right now, get the hell of Blaze all of off Immortals, put Young on this team. Like, okay, I thought he laned pretty well in both I games. I thought he was getting stomped in lane. No, wasn't really? he like really? He was behind in one of them. I don't remember which one. I mean, that was he the first was really one. Really behind in one. That was of the first Maybe one against, against JoJo. JoJo. That was the first one yeah. against JoJo. But I don't think I don't even think he was like that terrible considering the situation. And you know, he he did a good job with his lane state against Diplex. You know, he had a little bit of an oopsie in that like mini mid lane dive they did where. They just didn't finish the kill. Um, but I don't know. Golden Guardians, be... they're stinky, but uh, I, I'm sorry. I, I don't have a lot to say about this team. Yeah, it, it might not be fair to to judge him based off of laning against JoJo because we know that that is He's the best laner. And one of our best, yeah, one of our, if not the best, then one of our best. Mid laner. Uh, laners, yeah. So I, I think that's fair. Maybe I'm being a little bit too harsh, especially for someone that, like you said. He's so young. Sucked. Uh-huh. Sorry, sorry. I had to do it. <laughs> okay. Um, you better actually not be old as shit, though. I gotta look it up now. But, okay, I'll, I'll take this another angle, too, because a couple of weeks ago, I said that I expected to see good things out of Stixe, seeing as last year, despite being on a bad team, he looked pretty good. I did not think he looked good this past weekend. Stixe kind of got crapped on, too. Uh, maybe in both games? Definitely in well, the definitely EG in, one. He did in the C9 game as well, so... Right, yes. In the C9 one, he just walks up to Blabber, and Blabber's like, okay, like, 
who walks up to blabber on wukong i don't like what ad carry does that so i was a little bit disappointed in in Stixe as well and while it's just one week i'm not ready to write him off just yet i i was expecting him to be uh solid at the very least and we didn't really see that either licorice uh i don't have faith in licorice yep don't worry let's give him counter pick again and he'll do nothing with it but you know that was in the yeah, EG game where he there? got his Olaf counterpick into Jackson, basically did nothing and literally had to force his team to come help him attempt to win the lane, even though he didn't win the lane. Ah, Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. Okay, this, you know what this, else I'll this say? Is stinky. Yeah, last thing on, on Golden Guardians, because we want to move on to another team that we don't want to talk about. But anyway, the last thing I'll say is I thought that River looked okay on the Wukong, but him and Licorice gotta work together. Like, I don't think it should be that difficult if the Wukong gets on the back line with an ulti. You should have an Olaf that should be able to follow up. Hit your R button and run at them. And that never happened at all. So, like, I'm wondering, are these guys not communicating? Like, hey, I'm going to go in. Can you follow up? Like, Licorice should be, like, should love having the Wukong. That seems like a really dangerous duo, Wukong and Olaf. River's going to be the say of this year. If they both hit ulties, they should be able to destroy someone on the back line. And they just never really even got close, honestly. Even when EG was, like, throwing. So... Just another area where it's a little bit like, come on, man. But let's talk about the other team that we don't want to talk about. Yep. We got Immortals up next. Um, If I have to throw Immortals a singular bone, one singular bone, that is it. Uh, Revenge. Not terrible. Really? Me too. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Like, we're on the same page again. Let's go. If we want to talk about terrible, we can throw it down to a Blaze Olive and Tactical. But uh, Revenge, you get a, you get a solid thumbs up from me. No, a hundred percent. And and the thing is, it's it, we need to say that because we criticize a lot that sometimes he'll get the counter pick and do nothing with it. But in the Fiora game, he had the CS lead. He was getting plates, mind you. I don't think there's much more he really could have done. No. I don't think you can completely take over that game. I think he did just about as much as you can expect out of him in that scenario. So like, a lot of times last year when he got the counter pick, he didn't do much with it. This week he did. So. I'm 100% with you there. Got to give him props. I thought even Kenby in the game against TSM, he had the nice uh, lane gank where he snuck into the brush. And then Fleshy got the ultimate with Pike and they gave Draven the cash out, which by the way, I didn't know that that interaction worked that way. Mm -hmm. So it, for those that don't know, if Pike uses his ultimate to kill someone, the what, what's it called? Your cut or something like that? Yeah, I mean, you get a cut. Draven but... could cash his, yeah, Draven can cash his, uh, his stacks out. So that was kind of cool. Um, but that was a play to me that was just Kenby sneaking in the brush and working well with his bot lane, so that was good. Everything else was pretty shit, though. Yep. Um... Blaze Olive absolutely trolled. I don't even know how many times. The 100th <laughs> game, he just walked right on top of the Victor W. Like, I, I didn't know what to say about that. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I guess I would say that if I had, I mean, if I had to pick one person, a Blaze Olive is definitely more the culprit than Tactical. I think 100%. a Blaze Olive was just doing a bunch of stupid shit, whereas Tactical was just kind of getting destroyed as a result of said stupid shit. He was so, also getting destroyed in lane two. He was, he, he was, but I mean, yeah, you know, biggest inter of the week goes to a Blaze Olive. I think maybe he had a single KP in any of the games. He was 05. Okay, he had two assists in his game oh, against 100 say, don't But he didn't. Me. But he didn't for most of the game. That's just why I had to ask. I was like, okay, he must have got two assists. It was KDA was 0 9 and 2. Quite Who epic. was a bigger inter this week? Was it him or was it JoJo? It was fucking a blaze all of all. Yeah. 100%. That game against okay. That game against CSM was honestly painful to watch. That that I IMT think it's versus close, though. 
I don't know that like that shit was so painful to watch. It was like crazy. Yeah. Anyways, so just so you know, Jay, so I, I've been messaging after both losses Immortals had. I messaged JNT zero eighteen, and just so you know, JNT, I am memeing, but I will say this is one of the teams that like if there was ever a team to do it, this is one of them on the list. Like yep. if we, you know what, if we were doing the ninety fifty ten predictions, I'd give them the ten percent that they go winless. Really. Um, but I was going to say you could go with the 50%. I'd be like, I'd be cool with that. No, no, no. So I was looking actually, here's a little interesting fun fact. I was looking at like the worst record of every team throughout the last, like, I don't know how many splits. Like I went all the way back to like when it was best of threes or whatever. And the, the last time there was a team that was worse than like three wins. Uh, it was Echo Fox, was... right? Echo Fox, right? No, because they went one in seventeen, but they like that was when it was best of threes, and they had eight wins and like thirty okay. something well, losses. I'll bet okay, I, yeah, I get you. The win percentage still added up to being nearly as good as like getting three wins in Is a regular split. Anybody else that wasn't Coast? Because Coast also went one in seventeen. Coast was the only one, and it was like 2014, 2015. Oh yeah, it would have been more games. And they that. were one in seventeen or something. Oh, never mind. When did they make eighteen games? That might have been the start of season. I don't know. I don't remember because old LCS I'm, used to have like twenty eight games in a in a split, yeah. or t- and then twenty four, and then I think they landed on. So really, yeah. the only ones that have been worse than that was Coast one in seventeen, and there was Echo and Fox, and it, then there was Echo Fox one in seventeen, if we want to call it like that. But that was yeah, best but of their three. match record was like eight wins and thirty something losses because it was best of threes that year. So yeah, point being, I don't think there's ever been a team to go zero and eighteen. So you would have to be really freaking and we've had some really freaking bad teams so that's why i say it's still a long shot despite the fact that i think immoros is a pretty bad team i mean i definitely no, no, some... i could if i had to put, like if i had to put like if okay let's say we, we put their over under at two and a half are you digging the over or the under mm, that's a really good question i'd take the under i think Cause yeah, if if I had to guess how many wins they're gonna get this split, I think I would go with two. But the thing is, like, there is a world, <laughs> there is a world where they just get like five wins, even right? How how what five games are they gonna win? Dude, even CLG <laughs> got five wins that one split where they were so bad. Yeah, but that was that was because contracts was coin flipping everything. So like sometimes yeah. the coin like it okay. But I think that's fair though. Like if if IMT just starts coin flipping shit, then yeah, they're gonna have more than like. But if they just keep doing exactly what they're doing, they're not going to win shit. They might I'm win taking the games. under. The two and a half, I'm taking the under. Me, You're taking me, the under yeah, as well? Yeah, me too. Okay. I'll give them two wins on the split. There's your fucking bar, Immortals. Good luck. The thing is, people if, if people are listening to this podcast for the first time, they probably think we're Immortals haters. Like, it would be great to see, like, Revenge, Olive, Tactical. It would be so great to see these guys have a resurgence. We would love that. Or Kenvi to finally pop off because... I mean, honestly, I don't think Kenby's been put in a good spot since he joined LCS. Last year's team was trash. Yeah. And he's on another team. Like, I would love these guys to be thriving. Yeah, I if just you want to see how it happens, man, I don't see that world. You want to? You want to call me a hater? Throw it back to all those early episodes of CFP where Insanity got the juice. Like, where's yeah. that screenshot? I still have it. I'll bring it up right goddamn now. I don't yeah, care. bring up Insanity with the juice. That was. That was Wait, pandemic, wasn't it? I don't have it on here. Because why else would he have had that juice? Yeah, it was literally pandemic, but I don't have the picture on Streamlabs right now. Okay, well, I mean, if you're just listening or whatever, just no, picture I'm getting insanity it right now. with a big jug of orange juice. Well, there's listeners, too, that won't be able to see it anyways. 
It's uh, insanity with a massive jug of orange juice. Here it is, uh, right here. I, I got it. I found it. There it is. A secret gem right here. <laughs> he this, got the juice. I would love to see juice. Insanity make it back to the LCS Dude, again. Dude, that was, that was my bold prediction of the offseason. I was like, Insanity is going to be starting on Dignitas, but they got Jensen, so. Hey, man, the split is far from over. There, Plenty of mental boom to go. It's, it's, only, it's still January. Lots yeah. of time for mental to boom and for players to be needed to fill in some spots. So, mm. okay. What, where, what are we doing next? Where are we here? Um, I guess we can move on to our game predictions. Um, oh, true. I think that probably makes the most sense right now. Let's do predictions and then we close out with quick news. Yeah. Um, I'll have okay, to, I gotta, we got we gotta keep the tally going now. Uh, I'm pulling up the predictions on screen as well as the games right now. Now, there we go. Um, Seven and three for myself, six and four for Blue Jay. The main difference there was I had picked. Who did I pick and who did you TSM. pick? Oh, I picked I TSM and you pick Immortals. Which I feel like such an idiot for. Yeah, and I feel like, unfortunately, with the way that Immortals is going, it's going to be once one of those CLG type splits where I just don't pick them the entire year because I have absolutely zero faith. So yeah, see, I didn't take Immortals because I thought they were good or, or anything like that. I just took them because I thought TSM both was teams just were bad. bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. And I thought, oh, this is like the monkey fight, you know, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. Simpsons meme. And I thought, ah, what the hell? Let's coin flip it. But clearly, TSM's not that bad. Well, first game Thursday, we got CLG versus C9. Pretty good game, actually. I'm gonna roll with C9 on this one. Me too. Me too. Uh, FlyQuest versus Golden Guardians. Give me some FlyQuest. Fly. Dignitas versus 100 Thieves. I'll go 100 Thieves. 100 Thieves, yeah. Unfortunately, I think all of our games are going to be the same on Thursday. IMT versus Team Liquid. I'm going Team Liquid. Yep. And EG versus TSM. I'm going to take EG. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but I'll so tell you right goddamn now, the prediction for this first Friday game is going to be different. I'm taking Cloud9. Jamie's taking FlyQuest. Huh? Yes, no? Oh, are you for taking... that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. I'm taking FlyQuest. Yes, yes, yes. I knew it. Next up, Dignitas Evil Geniuses. Evil geniuses for me. Uh, yeah, of course, yes. <laughs> I was wondering what the uh was about there. My mind no is all over the place right now. I need, to, I need to focus. I am okay. Carry, carry on. Uh, TSM versus One Hundred Thieves. Kind of just One Hundred Thieves. I'm just Do for, it. take TSM. I, I'm gonna take them just for fun, purely for fun. No logic behind it whatsoever. Just for fun. Okay. Uh, Dude, this okay. Can we remind people that that's the double lift versus TSM game? Yeah, that's like, why I'm doing it just for fun. That is that and Bjergsen, so sort of funny, regardless. Yeah, true. Correct. I mean, he did already play for TL and played against TSM, but you know, but still, the, the peak TSM was Bjergsen and double lift, so that makes it a little bit more interesting that they are reunited playing against TSM. Honestly, you know what I wish? I would have I would have wished that TSM completely shit the bed in week one and looked absolutely awful, so they subbed in their entire Challenger League squad, which has Hanser and Sven Skarin on it, and then we got Hanser versus Sven Skarin against Double oh. and Bjergsen. That's the timeline I was looking for, but unfortunately it didn't happen. Cool. All right, next up, Team Liquid versus Golden Guardians. Uh, Team, Liquid. Team Liquid and, and then, then CLG over Immortals. Of course, CLG, baby. The only thing, so the reason why I was like, brain afk as you're going through the games was i was considering taking clg over c9 in the first game fair enough but I, I don't think i have the guts to do it i can't pull the trigger but that was one that i glossed over a little too quick because clg did look good but then i remembered fudge factor versus dokla and went oh yeah don't do that, <laughs> don't do that you idiot <laughs> so 
Right. Uh, we got okay. a little bit of quick news to go through here. Uh, first up, there was some practice schedule changes apparently made to the LCS scrim schedule. Um, in a, I'll say this in air quotes, controversial split vote. This is according to uh, Artemis, who is the former EG uh, head coach, or I don't know, not the head coach, but he was on I the coaching staff. I think he was staff. head coach, and then I think he was head of coaching or something. Or maybe that was somebody else. That was I Kelsey Moser, was head Peter, of coaching staff. No, she's head of coaching right now. Well, Dude, EG have changed their coaching shit so much, yeah, I can't have. keep up, man. <laughs> I can't keep up anymore. He was on the, he was a prominent guy on the EG coaching staff, but he put out... Correct. You know, a series of uh, videos on TikTok and which ended up on Twitter basically talking about <clears throat> this new practice schedule and how, one, it was in a controversial split vote, air quotes on that. Um, and then, you know, we've had a couple other pros uh, talking about it. You know, Doublelift uh, said on stream just yesterday that he personally didn't like the new schedule. And I do think that has to do a lot with the schedule not necessarily being fully fleshed out. And, you know, mm -hmm. people are just, you know, against the change right now. So. For, for the people that don't even know what the hell we're talking about, the LCS for the last, I want to say like three years now, has been running a one block of scrim schedule where they play one block of five games. And that's been the norm for many, many years now. However, the schedule that they're running now used to be the old schedule that they ran way back in OG LCS days where they run two blocks of three games. And in some rare cases, I think teams like Cloud9 and TSM way back in the day, they always ran three blocks a day because... Part of the reason why they were probably were the best teams at the time because they were practicing the most. Um, but to get back to you know the change right now, seems to be a lot of contention in the in the industry when it comes to you know pros and coaches and whatnot in terms of you know having you know more free time or less free time or it's stupid to have breaks in between our scrim blocks where it feels like it's wasted time and you know whatever whatever. But I, I think inevitably when you always change a schedule, it's always going to take a, a large chunk of time for people to adjust to it and to get used to it and find a better way or a more useful way to manage their time that they're not necessarily used to having whatever whatever all in summary i like that they changed the practice schedule purely because i think it's kind of bad if you were only going to scrim in a in a single day you only played five games of scrims in a single day against the same team and i know that there's like scrim culture in the lcs where Top team, scrim, top teams, bottom team, scrim, bottom team. Sometimes, you know, the top will face the bottom, whatever. But surely you're not getting the best practice if you're playing the same team for five games. You know, not necessarily every day, but if you're scrimming with them, you're also probably scrimming with them other parts of the week as well. So I agree. Now, here's the thing. You got to take my opinion here with a grain of salt because I'm going to reference back to when we were, had our, co our college team. And we would always scrim that one team from something somewhere in Pennsylvania or whatever. And we would always scrim the same team. And the issues were like, we never really got challenged in anything different. Like we got so good at beating that team that I think it was a detriment to us. Now, look, I realized the LCS very, very different <laughs> from college scrims. But the point is, I think variety helps a lot. And so that's one of the things I like. But I want to reference to some of the points that Artemis brought up in his tweets slash TikToks or whatever. Um, he said that a lot of the, the two-hour window... So basically, it started off as 1 p.m. to 4 p.m., two-hour break, and then 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. would be the second block. And one of his criticisms in his first uh, tweet was that there's too much laying on the couch and lazing around and just eating, and they're not really doing anything. And I would say if that's the case, I feel like that's really on the managers and coaches to make sure that they do get some good time out of that. He brought up something about food comas. 
I don't know about that. Dude, honestly, when he started going down that tangent of like circadian rhythm and shit like that, I was like, bro, it is not like that. Don't even try to begin. Like, it is like that. Let's not discount that because maybe it it could be. The the point, I'm not saying all this just shit on Artemis. I would have really loved to bend his ear about this kind of thing. The one thing that he brought up that I thought was uh, an interesting point and I thought he made a, like, I thought made a lot of sense was he said it wouldn't be such a terrible idea to go one day you do the, the old scrim block and then the next day you change and do the two different scrim blocks. And I thought that was interesting because his point was that like changing things up makes it a little bit less stale. And I thought that would be an interesting idea, but I just don't know. I don't have enough experience with that to really know how I feel about it. But I thought that was probably one of his more interesting points. And I, I uh, yeah, I thought that he made a good point there. What do you think about that? If they were to do one day like this and the other day like that, do you think that makes things a little too complicated? I don't know. I, I think it's probably whatever the teams feel that they're most comfortable with. And maybe doing both at the same time would give teams a better opportunity to say like, oh, maybe this different system is actually better. And not just say, oh, this new system sucks because it's being forced upon us and it's not the old system. Because, yeah. you know, if, if stuff just gets ran, like, with anything if stuff just gets randomly changed and you're just like oh what the fuck i don't like this it might not necessarily be because you don't like it it's just because it's not what you're used to and i I feel like i I feel like it's there's a really gray area in the middle there if people are saying that they don't like the new schedule well is it don't like it because it's not what you're used to or you don't like it because you don't like it so i think that probably is something that's being a little bit overlooked so yeah, in his second tweet, he did say something along the lines that like he thinks it's going to be gone in two weeks and that they're going to go back to the old one. And which my only criticism to that is like, did you really try long enough with the current I system? I agree 100%. Like, I, I don't know if you can really say that it failed if you tried it for... It's, I, it's so, January 30th that we're, or it was 29th. It's past midnight now, but January 29th is when we started recording this. Like we're not far into the season whatsoever. So, I would say give it a shot. Sorry, you said the second video. There was another video that he posted. Yeah, he came out with two. He there are two t- TikTok videos, but I saw him tweet them, so I saw them on Twitter. Oh, I didn't see the um, second one, but what? Well, the second one said that they're now trying 1 p.m. to 4 p.m., then one hour break, and then 5 to uh, 8 p.m. Is what they're trying. What I will say is what you just said. If that's correct, and what he said in the video, saying he thinks that they'll just change it in two weeks, that sounds mm-hmm. exactly what I was describing when I'm saying, are they just changing it? Are they going to change it back just because they don't like it, or did they actually try it? Like you just said, like is that really enough time to fully flesh it out and try it? But good to yeah. know that they're at least adjusting to it to make it, you know, a one-hour break in the middle. The last thing that I'm going to say about this, um, it was something that they referenced on the co-streams, but something that's kind of been common knowledge if you follow a lot of LCS. Um, in terms of how teams operate uh, is the way that practice used to work to my understanding. And that's when I say to my understanding, it's not because I don't know what the hell, like I have any inside info or whatever. It's just from listening to players talk on streams over the last decade of watching league. But the way that the old scrims used to work and the old practice was you would play all of your games, you would play all your scrim games, and then you would review either after that or the day after, but not too long ago when they released this new the the new Jesus I'm saying like schedule so many times the new schedule which is the the five game the five block schedule they apparently do review in between every single game like they'll play one mm-hmm. of the five games then take a bunch of time after to review the whole game play the game like to me that just sounds like a horrible system like doing lengthy review right after you just played the series and I know Medios has referenced this a bunch of times um 
on stream during the co-streams talking about how when he was playing on C9, TSM was sort of the team at that time who always liked to do lengthy review in between their games. And Medio said there was so much wasted time in between scrim games because in this case, TSM was spending 30, 40, you know, an hour, you know, long reviewing the game afterwards. And I feel like if that is the norm where you play a a game of league, which can be anywhere between 20 and 40 minutes, and then you spend that amount of time or more reviewing the game, like there is just a bunch of wasted time in there. Like surely, like I'm sorry. It's medius though, right? Like he will exaggerate for sure. Maybe, but I mean, I I would say, I was just talking about a specific instance where like TSM was the team to do that. And I don't know if, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what's all this is because of that. But either way, to me, just in general, reviewing the games directly after you've played them and you then have to go scrim again, Having some lengthy review doesn't feel like it's going to help your performance on that day. Like, I don't know. Yeah. seems a bit dumb. And, but and uh, even though maybe that's just things... my uninformed opinion. I don't know. Yeah, and even though there were some things that Artemis said that I didn't necessarily agree with, I still think that's an opinion you have to uh, respect because he's been in those rooms in between scrims and he knows what it's like yeah. for at the pro level. So, like, uh, definitely a, 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 someone's opinion that I think de- definitely carries some weight. And the other thing that he brought up that I thought was interesting is that the LCS LCSPA pulled the players and nearly half of them said they were negatively impacted by it. Now, I can fully admit that LCS players, if they get their opportunity to complain, I think they will. But that doesn't mean you just ignore their complaints, right? You do need to hear them out. But at the same time, you need to balance what we were saying earlier is where like you really do need to give this a shot for more than a month or whatever like really give it a chance before you switch things up so i think there's some balancing that needs to be done i think the conversation should continue i hope artemis continues to tweet out his opinions on it and just some of the news that he hears and what he's hearing from some coaches and whatnot because i think i don't know i think it's just a good discussion that should continue it should be ongoing you know Mm -hmm. all right next up we got some champion skew stuff you know we we got we love a good old champion skew discussion on this podcast um on the NA side of things, no meme. If you haven't heard the news, Champions Q has been shut down until February. <laughs> I don't care though. Like, yeah, I, I like, don't really care. There was there was a bunch of people getting upset on Twitter and Reddit because the automatic tweets that come out from like the Champions Q Twitter were saying like, uh, "No games." Yeah, no game. It was like you know, week one, day six, no games. Week one, day seven, no games. Week one, day eight, no games. And every all the comments were just like, "Why the hell is somebody playing Champions Q?" But I think you know, just after that, they released some statement where they just you know, all of the pros were enjoying playing solo queue because the season literally just started like two and a half weeks ago. Yeah. So the pros are playing solo queue, and they're also adapting to the new practice schedule and whatnot, which you know, in, ter- in terms of the entire day ends up being more hours because I think, what did you say? They end at like 8 or 9 p.m. now as opposed to five, six or like 6 or 7 p.m., something like that. So technically the scrim blocks would go 1 to 4 p.m., one hour break, then 5 to 8 p.m., which I'm sure after the 8 p.m. they would probably have some discussion about the games and who knows how long that could go and yeah. whatnot. So. But the days could drag on a little long. Yeah. In in summary, Champions Q will reopen in NA probably somewhere middle of the LCS split and expect pros to hop back on that once they're done, you know, climbing back to challenger on solo queue, because on the flip side, across the pond, our EU friends, they have champions queue now. And a lot of the, you know, LEC pros are really outspoken about how much they wanted champions queue. And I think after, I think it's been out since Monday of this week, Monday would be, would have been January the 20th. 
third. Uh, and from what I can hear and what I've seen on streams, everyone likes it. I've just been watching Bo stream playing Champion Ski. That guy is cracked out of his mind. Yeah, the thing is, when when Champion Ski first got released in North America, wasn't it like really a big hit at like not for long, but at the very start, wasn't it a big hit as well? Yeah, but I mean, sure. I, I guess maybe what you're alluding to is that it might have the same fate as it does in NA, where people lose a little bit of interest. I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm saying let's wait and see, right? Yeah, that's no, what I'm saying. Because I, so. I, I do think there is a chance that European players are in love with it, and it does keep going, no problem. And back to the, the reason why I said I don't care about NA pros playing it right now is for the same reason that you brought up about um, solo queue just being fresh right now. Like, people want to start climbing, so I think that's okay. But I, I don't want to completely dismiss the fact that, like, it's been a struggle of getting players to play Champions Q over the last like year that it's existed. So while I say I don't care now, I will care in a month. Yeah. I Absolutely. would I would hope that Europe getting Champions Q will motivate NA to use it again or to get Maybe. back to using it. Well, cuz I mean, you know if for whatever reason, let's just say we'll, we'll hypothesize one year out NA goes to Worlds, has a similar performance. If EU goes to Worlds, has a similar performance. All of the memers and haters and, you know, people who like to talk shit on Twitter are all going to be like, NA, no Champions Q. EU play Champions <laughs> Q. They did well. Or it's just some shit like that. So I, yeah. <laughs> I would just hope for the sake of the region, for the sake of their own reputation that the North American pros will use it. I, I agree. I, I mean, I can't. I can't force them to play myself. No one can. So, I, but I agree. We just pray they do the right thing. Already, uh, last up, we got to end it on a sad note here, unfortunately. But I'm irate. Yeah. Afro Moo, he retired from Pro Law. He, ju he just put okay, a video so out saying that he's retiring from playing Pro League. He did say that he'll you know, keep streaming on Twitch and stuff and that he will be playing some league, but he does feel like one of those players that is just, since he's been in the league so long, and it's just no surprise at all that, one, he doesn't really want to play League anymore if he's not going to be dealing professionally. And two, he's like, yeah, I'm not really going to play this much anymore unless I want to play it on stream or something. So I say I'm irate, but I should probably say I think I'm irate. What I mean is if he was planning on retiring anyways, then I'm not that mad. But if he genuinely wanted to play and no teams took him, then I'm rattled because I still think this guy has been one of the most underrated players for the last like three years or whatever i don't know why teams do not want this guy he's like, been a top five support or, for the yeah, last probably three at least four three years teams in the lcs right now that are automatically better in the short and long term with him um Agreed. so I, I i don't know let me pull up the lcs teams and see where he would fit uh give me he could still second. he could easily still be on FlyQuest playing with prince could easily still be on that team Although they do all speak Korean, so maybe not, right? So oh. just in all fairness. As skill level, absolutely. So, okay. Um, let's go with... He could play on Dignitas, right? I think he'd be better than Bio. No offense, Bio. Um, TSM, although I don't mind TSM giving Chime a shot. Like, obviously, he's better yeah. than Chime. Uh, Immortals, uh, nothing against Fleshy, but he takes up an import slot. Aphromoo's probably better and doesn't. So just right off the bat. And then maybe even Golden Guardians. Maybe he's even better than Huhi, honestly. And he played with Stixay before. So yeah. just off the top of my head, there's those. And, and maybe there's some others that you can make an argument for. No, no need to go on, on much 
longer on this tangent, but all this to say that like Rush Hour 2.0. I cannot believe he is not in the LCS anymore unless it's just he was done anyways and wanted to retire. If that was the case though, I think that retirement video would have come out 2 months ago. I agree I before. agree, but and at the same time like why I guess I would say if it was the case where he couldn't just get on a team, you know, why not just wait until summer just to see if, you know, he wants to get picked up. Like, but I, I I would say that him putting out the video in the first place indicates that he actually does want to retire. I mean, I if he couldn't find a team, obviously that's sad, but I think if he just couldn't find a team and still wanted to play, he wouldn't have put that video out. He would have just waited until summer, see if he could get on a team, maybe if he had to retire. I'm not in his head, so I don't know. I just it's heartbreaking if he wanted to still play because not only is he good enough, he's more than good enough, and he is the longest whatever he's been playing the longest in the LCS. Longest so. tenured player. That's that the term. Thank you. Yep. Yes. Okay, that's it for this episode. Let's close it out. Uh thank you guys for coming back week to week. Um our live schedule has been a little bit inconsistent, but we've still been doing our episodes Sunday night. I think after football's done, like we'll probably wait till after the Super Bowl to record in two weeks or whatever. Yeah, yeah. After that, should we say like 7 p.m. probably on Sunday nights or evenings? Uh, something like that. But I think definitely post Super Bowl, we'll have a, a stricter start time here. Yeah. So anyways, sorry about the inconsistency on live streams, but they are still being released consistently on YouTube and Spotify and all that. They're going up like really, really early morning, like 4 a.m. our time, just so that like even European listeners can get their thing before Monday morning before they go to work. So um, episodes are being released regularly, so no need to worry there. And uh, yeah, thank you guys. Remember to hit the sub button, hit the like button, leave a comment, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. This is episode 111 of the Clown Fiesta podcast. Adios.